I don't know if it has been mentioned, and forgive me because just trying to get things ready amidst a lot of, a lot of commotion going on this morning, uh, the service for our veterans, which is at 9.30 on Sunday morning, if you didn't pick it up in the bulletin, if it's not been noted, uh, and I apologize if it was, but our own Sarah, uh, Sarah Loxett, will be uh, speaking at that. So that's something you may want to know. And uh, Major Sarah Locke said, am I got that correct? There's, there's probably something else there that I need to know that I don't have, and I apologize to me. She's Dr. Sarah Lockstead. She works with the, uh, she's a medical doctor, and she, two tours that you have served? Uh, Iraq and Kuwait. Okay, so she spent two tours in the Middle East, and so she's going to be sharing that. That's going to be very significant, friends, and so we need to be aware of that. And if you can't make it, be praying for Sarah on uh, Wednesday morning as she is uh, carrying a significant, uh, a significant responsibility and being the speaker. And, um, yeah, it's, it's important stuff that happens. Well, in uh, just a little bit before you go, we are going to be giving away, for our hunters, we're going to be giving away a pair of binoculars. And uh, they look like they're pretty nice binoculars. So uh, I actually can't get into drawing, so I tried to uh, encourage my son, please get in the drawing, okay? Because uh, I can't be because I'm part of putting it on, and I sure would like to see us win those binoculars. They look like they're pretty good. So if you would do that, please get in the drawing. And he's kind of on a roll because about two and a half weeks ago, he won a four-wheeler on a $20 uh yeah, yeah, right? Exactly, Amber. So his brother and sister, Amber's like, huh? And his brother and sister are like the same way. Why does he get this? Okay, they call him the golden boy. Because it all seems to come his way. Anyways, I'm hoping the luck keeps going his direction. But I'm talking about binoculars. Let me say this. We all know what binoculars do. We take our binoculars into the field, and we watch that edge along that woods that's off in a distance of what it does. It takes that which is far away, and it brings it up close. So we have clarity on something we could not see. Effectively, if you're willing to consider that, when we come to the book of Revelation, it's as if the Spirit of God, in carrying John along in what he was showing him, it's as if the Spirit of God had given John a pair of spiritual binoculars that he could look into the future and what was yet far away, literally thousands of years away from him, is brought up close, that he is able to see it, he's able to understand it, and then he's able to write it down, communicate it for us. And we have been looking at this in our last segment on this, on this series that we literally started when we dedicated this pulpit well over a year ago. Uh, in our last segment, we're in what we're calling eras and events. And what we are just simply looking at in the end times is how a one way to look at it would be there are things which indicate the passing of time, and there are things which are a little bit more momentary, a little shorter in their, uh, in their being. So what I would like to do is, if you would turn that on for us, please, Cruiser, I would appreciate that. Okay, the last thing that we have looked at, thank you, my friend, the last thing we have looked at, and so this has a... Either you can use this as a laser pointer, and when that isn't working, you turn it around, you see how it's pointed, and then you just point it this way. Okay, so now I'm pointing up here, and you see the last thing that we looked at right up there, right there, is Jesus' return at the end of the tribulation. 
And the next thing, that wasn't the event. The next thing that I want us to see is the era of the millennium. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And what we want to, what we want to make note of, if you're following the notes, you like to fill them in, the event of Christ's return, the blue arrow coming down, will be followed by the era of Christ's rule. Revelation chapter 20. And we're going to pick it up in verse 4. Before you turn that on, Cruiser, I want to read verses 1 to 3, because this is where we were last week. It'll lead us into that. Here's a refresher. I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. This is at that blue arrow where Christ returns. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up, set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Did you pick up on that last week when we read it? After these things, he's going to be released for a little while. After what things? After this thousand years. So now, picking it up in verse 4, as we go on, John saw this through his binoculars. I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection, over such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp and the saints and the beloved city, that's Jerusalem. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. In the context of those verses, six times we have referenced a thousand-year period. That's why we call this, and that was on there, the millennium. It literally means a thousand years. This thousand-year period. Well, what's happening during that time? There are two very significant things we need to know about that thousand-year time. By the way, there are some people, in their interpretation of Scripture, they dis dismiss this as figurative or... Uh, some other thing, they have ways of getting around. They say that's never going to literally happen. I'm sorry, friends. I don't, I want, I just need to tell you. I don't know what else to do with when six times, mark your Bibles, you will see six times a specific reference to a thousand years inside of these few verses are set forth and what's happening with these thousand years. I don't know where else to go with that than to believe that John saw something that's going to last about a thousand years. If I'm going to just take the scripture for what it says, and I don't see any indication why we have to somehow allegorize that in any fashion, we don't have to dismiss it, let's just take it for what it says, that when Christ returns, he is 
embarking on a thousand year something, the millennium. Well, what is the nature of that thousand year period? John says that he saw thrones and those who sat upon them, and judgment was committed to them. And it was those who had died, some of those who were involved in that rulership were those who had died for their witness to Christ during the time of the tribulation. And they had been martyred, and now they're going to be some of the co-rulers, co-organizers, if you will, within this thousand-year reign. And he says, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. In verse 4, now life on earth is going to continue on. After that great and terrible battle of Revelation chapter 19, life on earth is going to continue. But there's going to be a couple of significant differences with life on earth during that time. Number one, Christ will reign as king. Probably most important, if we forget everything else this morning, well, what's so significant about the millennium? Christ will reign as king. You see, in, in, in the Old Testament, they had some problems trying to put all of this prophetic word together about who Messiah was. The problem was they were given two pictures of Messiah. Both had to come True. Now, we have the advantage and that we live in between the first and the second fulfillment, so we have some, some better perspective, if you will. But both had to come true. They did not always know what to do with the fact that you've got an Isaiah 53, whereby Messiah is set forth as a suffering servant. He's led like sheep to the slaughter. They go, well, how do we equate that with the king who we're expecting who will rule? Kings are not led to the slaughter. And they didn't know what to do all the time with these two different images, these two different pictures, these two different things prophetically spoken about Messiah that had to happen. And they seemed to be a bit in conflict with each other. Well, here's what we now can understand. Jesus Christ came the first time as the suffering servant. And that's why in Philippians we're, we're, we have him described for us, who though, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, took upon himself the form of a servant. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, that was his coming the first time. God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. That's what's going to happen the second time. Because when Christ reigns as king, which is what they were expecting of Messiah, when he reigns as king, he will reign in perfect righteousness, he will reign in perfect rule, and all will be required to submit themselves to him. And none can resist that because he alone will rule in perfect righteousness. You know, this theme of Christ coming as king is something that is replete as well as a servanthood, but now we're looking at the second part of it. That's why we're emphasizing that. This theme is something that is replete throughout the scriptures, and in just a couple weeks, we're all going to be talking about it. 
We just take it so much for granted, but we need to stop and think about it from time to time and recognize its significance. Because when Christ came the first time, we know ultimately He came to fulfill the role of the suffering servant, but there were people who were expecting Him to come to fill the role of king. How do we know this? Matthew chapter 2, which we will, you'll recognize it. It's not going to come up for you. You know it. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born? What? King of the Jews. That's what they were expecting. For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod, uh, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And that's a reference back to Micah. And friends, we could look at dozens and dozens and dozens of these kinds of references. I'm trying to give you one that you realize you'll just be hearing now in a couple weeks. So when you hear it again, you have something to tie into very quickly. Christ was prophesied to come to be a ruler of the people of Israel. And when he comes the second time, Revelation clearly says that he will rule. He will take up the mantle of his kingship. They lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Christ will reign. The prophecies will be fulfilled. They must be fulfilled. He alone will be glorified as king. Amen? Amen. Amen. How, if anybody can ever say that, they, it's total ignorance if they ever say Jesus was just like any other man that walked the face of the earth. That's just plain wrong, friends. Because Jesus Christ himself is going to return. And he's going to do battle at the Battle of Armageddon. And he's going to wipe out Satan and all of his cohorts at that time. Everybody else is going to be taken care of. And Satan himself is going to be put in a bottomless pit, just bottomless pit, just set aside for a while, completely under the throne of God, under the authority of Jesus Christ. He's set aside until the end of this thousand years, but for a thousand years he, he has no power whatsoever. Christ will reign as king. And he's going to reign in Jerusalem, and he's going to reign over the entire earth. Now that's the first thing that we need to understand the millennium is about. The fulfillment of that other side of the prophetic utterances about who Messiah is. He is the suffering servant. We have seen that by his death, burial, and resurrection. His ascension into heaven. You remember what they asked him before he left? Are you now going to set up the kingdom? Read the book of Acts. That's what they wanted to know. So now is it? Okay, you died. You did that whole died, came back from the dead. That's really cool. You're going to set up the kingdom now? Remember when he went into Jerusalem? What did they cry? Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What does Hosanna mean? It means save now. Are you going to throw off Rome now? Are we going to set up the kingdom now? They kept waiting for this to happen. But we know that he went and he sits at the right hand of the throne of God right now. Awaiting till that time when he will return and he will set up his kingdom. After doing battle against rebellious mankind. Remember the fall of Babylon. Three things. Chapter 17. Fall of religious Babylon. Chapter 18 of Revelation. Fall of economic Babylon. Chapter 19. Fall of political Babylon. And he's here. He destroys it all. He takes up 
his rightful place on the throne. And he rules from Jerusalem over all the earth. Christ will reign as king. Point number one. Point number two. Israel will realize her calling. See, when the, when the tribulation, or when the millennium, I'm sorry, the millennium starts to unfold, okay, it will revolve around Jerusalem and the nation of Israel again. And that's what will be the focal point of it. In Exodus chapter 19, God said to Moses, when they called them out of the, out of the, uh, uh, from the land of Egypt, he said, you will be a peculiar people to me. You will be a kingdom of priests. And what God had, I, I had ordained for Israel, this magnificent privilege, that right there in the Middle East, right between three different continents, right between the major trade routes of that day, in the most significant geographical place that you could be, God was planning on raising up Israel, and they were going to be a light to all the nations around them, that all the nations might know that the only true God to be worshipped is the Creator God of Israel, and all are to come to Him. That That's what was supposed to happen. That's why when he led them out of Egypt, that magnificent passage, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. While all the other nations around them worshipped a multitude of gods or worshipped Pharaoh as God or their king as God, and there were these animus and all these things they worshipped. They came with one singular message. There is but one God to be worshipped. And they were to sit right in that critical spot in the Middle East. And all of the nations were to see as they yielded themselves and walked in submission to God. And he poured out his blessings on them. The nations would know there's something peculiar happening here. But they... We want to be like all the other nations. Remember that when they asked for a king? Kind of gives you a sense to where their heart was at. And they failed in that. And so they never represented God as they were to have done. That's the nation of Israel. That's the Jews. Don't think I'm being anti-Semitic, friends. We're not done. Okay? Zechariah chapter 8, verse 23 prophesied this about this millennium. Thus says the Lord of hosts. And again, we could look look at more things like this, but I want you to get Israel will realize her calling. Thus says the Lord of hosts. In those days, ten men from every language of the nations shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man saying, let us go with you for we have heard that God is with you. And during the time of the millennium, it will be evident as Jesus Christ reigns from Jerusalem. It will be evident, everything that was to be evident, that God has chosen the Jewish people, that God wants to use them to bless the rest of the world with the truth of the gospel, with the truth of who Jesus Christ is, with the redemptive reality of what God is doing. That's what God has been seeking to do all along. They blew it, but now it comes back to them. And now Jesus Christ, reigning as their king, also reigns as king, over the entire earth. It's magnificent, friends. It's absolutely magnificent. And people will now look and see that all that mankind has been rejecting for all those years has been the truth. It has been the truth. And they have rejected God to their own hurt. Now, that's what's going to happen in the millennium. Christ will reign. Israel will realize its, co- its calling. We got that, right? Because I want to throw out one other thing. I want to come back to where we began. 
Do you ever wonder this thing? After this, at, we read it earlier about the thousand years when they were finished. After these things, he, meaning Satan, must be released for a little while. Ever wonder about that? Now, why in the world, if we've already defeated Satan, if Jesus is already, right, he's, uh, he's bound him, He's cast him into the bottomless pit. He's put a seal on him. If he is destroyed, he's shown his complete authority over him. Why does he then, you know, say, well, let's just open up this can of worms and we'll let this guy back out. Because at the end of a thousand years, he lets Satan loose. For what purpose? Specifically, it says that he might deceive the nations, that he might go about doing exactly what he did. Now, why would God allow that? Friends, we need to understand one thing. During the time of the tribulation, when Jesus reigns as king, and when Israel realizes its calling, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But every knee is not going to want to. And regardless of the fact that Jesus Christ, there's, there's, he, he has ruled in perfect righteousness. There's none of this... this uh, Political gamesmanship that goes on. There's no corruption in his reign. Everything is done with perfect righteousness, with perfect justice, is how that reign happens for a thousand years. Man is not needing to spend all of his money on trying to figure out new ways of creating war. He will address the poverty issues. He will address the race issues. He will address all of that stuff that we're constantly churning about. And he will bring righteousness to bear. And each one of these will be managed perfectly. And you would think in that context, wouldn't you? I would. Everybody would go, this guy is great. We really love him. Look at how good he has made this world. But that's not the case. Because there is within the rebellious heart of man a spirit that says, I will not let God rule over me. And Satan is released at the end of the thousand years, basically as the best I could understand it is a test. And he begins to throw his deception again. And those who did not want to follow Christ in the first place go, great, there's finally an alternative. There's finally someone else that we can follow because we're tired of following this guy. He always gets his way. And so for a short period of time, Satan is released. And he gathers all those who have been forced to be in compliance, but their hearts have never knelt before the Lord. And he gathers them together against Jerusalem for one final conflagration. And then as they come, they come to their own doom and judgment because they come in rebellion. They come as the last gasping act of the dark kingdom. And God wipes them out. It the, brings the end to the time of the millennium and it ends in this great judgment. So what do we learn from this, friends? This. When Israel was given the opportunity to be the light to the world, to be that kingdom of priests, they blew it. They walked in rebellion to God and walked away. He had to bring judgment. The church presently has the privilege of being the light to the world, carrying the gospel to Mexico and to Nepal and uh, Nathan Stanell now in the Far East. We have the privilege of carrying that. But little by little, you see the hearts of mankind being turned cold towards that kind of thing. What we, you know, they referred, remember in seminary, they referred to Europe as a burned over district because they weren't interested in the gospel there anymore, regardless of how much it had impacted them. And in America, 
Just watch what's happening with legislation and where we're heading, and you're finding out that God actually having a part in our national conversation is becoming less and less. We eventually are turning away. Mankind is turning away. See, God let one nation handle it. One nation couldn't it. God's opened it up to all the nations of the earth. We turn our backs on that. Finally, I think I'd look at it this way. We all had an excuse. Israel could say, well, we were just little and we liked what was around us. We were deceived by the evil one. Mankind in general, all the nations, as the gospel goes forth during the time of the church age, could say, well, we were deceived by the evil one. Remember Flip Wilson? Remember you guys old enough remember Flip Wilson? You know? Devil made me do it, right? Here's why I think it's very significant about the thousand years. The devil is not around to deceive people. He's not there to bring his, it says specifically, he will not be available to deceive during the thousand years. So they get a clear picture of what righteousness looks like. And as soon as they have the opportunity to follow him, they're in. Why? They haven't been deceived all those years. Because their hearts were not right. And he is the test that, that proves the hearts of mankind. Bible says, let God be true, but every man a liar. Every one of these eras, whether Israel, whether the church, or whether the millennium, ends with mankind turning his heart on God, turning his back on God and in rebellion. Every single one, he turn, man turns cold towards the things of God. Do you know what that means, friends? <laughs> that means we need to change a heart. That's what it means. That's why earlier on in this study we spent a lot of time discussing the issue of regeneration. Because my natural heart and your natural heart and everybody in here, as nice of people as we are, naturally you give us enough time, we're going to say, God, I don't think I want to do your thing anymore. And we need him to change us into Christ-likeness. And that's what Christ came as a suffering servant to do is to offer a redemptive, regenerating change that God works in us so that we become something new. We don't just get to heaven because, well, we were pretty nice in this world. No, we need to be made new. And the image of Jesus Christ needs to be reformed in us. It was lost at the fall. And all of redemptive history proves how, how radical that fall was. And every era ends with mankind turning his back on God, regardless of how much grace he had poured out in them. And it tells us we need a change. So, friends, I'm just here to ask one question. Have you experienced the change? That's all. Have you ever placed your faith in Jesus Christ and said, Lord, you know, all of humanity, it just, keeps, it just keeps falling into this rebellion, and I'm part of that humanity, and I'm going to go the same way, and Lord, I don't want to go that way. And so, Lord, I need Jesus Christ to change me. And so, Jesus, I'm calling upon you now, and I'm asking you to come into my life and make me something new. Because I can't do it on my own. I don't even want to do it on my own. Oh, how magnificent would it be if today... We're a reality that nobody left this worship service without a personal faith in Jesus Christ. That would be amazing. Father, thank you for the joy of being here this morning. We ask your blessing on us as we prepare to leave in Jesus' name. Amen. When the uh, ministry team is done, we will ask you to stick around just long enough to see if you're going home with a prize or